Tandem Nomads, episode 284. It's not about the money. It's never about the money. If ever you're struggling financially, it's often about everything else. So always look at what's going on within your body. What are your triggers? Use your emotions as a guidepost. Don't run from them. Hello, Nomad Nation. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show and entrepreneurship platform where you can find great resources and tips to grow a successful portable business that is aligned with their lifestyle and that allows you to have the flexibility that you need while making impact and generating revenue. This is your host, Emel Deregi. I'm a business and marketing coach and the founder of Tandem Nomads. Today's episode is all about money and most importantly, our relationship with money. I truly believe that it's important to realize that while we're building our businesses, we're actually exchanging value with our clients and trying to create that revenue that makes us live the lifestyle we want. Sometimes when we struggle to make that revenue, it often has to do more with the way you perceive your relationship with money, how you engage with money more than your strategies. So this is why I want to have a great guest to talk about this topic with you, Vanille. Vanille, are you ready for this ride? I am. I can't wait. Yay! So Nomad Nation, Vanille Magvagpa is an author, speaker, world traveler, founder of Wealthy Money, Wealth Coach, she's a yogi, and a podcast host. She's also passionate about helping people heal their ancestor money trauma so that they can unlock their inner money guru and thrive. Vanille, I just loved when I received your bio and when I heard about money trauma. This is something that I know that actually happens by working with my clients and even in my own journey, but I never saw it put that way. And I love it. So I can't wait for you to tell me more about that. But before we get into talking about money together, would love to dive into who you are. So if you can give us a bit of a sneak peek of your background and your lifestyle, your journey, where you're now. Well, right now I'm in Huatulco, Mexico, which is on the coastal town of Mexico. I am originally from South Africa. I help women of color mainly heal ancestral money traumas so they can fall in love with their bank accounts, increase income, and live their best lives. But um, I've also been a traveler. Like I've been doing this travel nomad life since 2005, right after university. Everybody got out of university and got a job after like three years, four years at university. I was, I studied finance. I decided to just pack up and leave and keep traveling. I'm sure that most nomads listening on here may resonate. The idea was to go traveling for two years. Then I'd go back home and I'd find a proper job. I'd get it out of my system. Well, We're now in 2022. I can tell you guys it's been many, many countries later. So many, (laughs) many different discoveries, um, trying to learn new languages, and it's not out of my system. (laughs) How many years did you say was that? Now it's about 17 years of traveling. I did take a break in all fairness, 2011 to 2014. I took a break, went back to South Africa, bought property, 
that's how I got out of debt. Those were the years when I got out of debt because I used the credit cards to travel when I started out because mm-hmm. I was straight out of university. I didn't have any money and it just became this really terrible habit. And then I went to the US to get an MBA. All this was also just me trying to get out of traveling because I thought it was the issue. If I could stop traveling, then I could make money. <laughs> you know, mm. I could save money. I fell into that way of thinking. So I went home for three years, got a property, got out of debt, all that. And I thought, that's it. Like, I'm going to settle down. And then literally mid-2014, I remember it was maybe, I just finished buying my property. So it was like around about September. I got a coach. I went back to my previous coach and I asked her, please, can you work with me again? Something's not right. Like I'm waking up, I'm crying. I'm not sure what the heck is going on. And then maybe like three sessions in one day, she asked me, what do you want? What's going on with you? I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I've got this gorgeous apartment that has an ocean view. I'm right next to the ocean. Like I have my life finally together. And all I'm doing is dreaming about the Caribbean. (laughs) (laughs) I just... I feel like I just want to be somewhere in Tobago. I want to be in the waters. I want to be talking to people. I want to be meeting new people. I was like, this doesn't make sense. I already have an ocean. What's wrong with me? (laughs) Wow, that's so cool. (laughs) And you did it. Yeah, three months later, I was back in Trinidad and I was back in Tobago. Okay. That was the beginning of the end. And funny enough, I convinced myself it was for a vacation. I was like, this is just a short vacation. Then I went to Brazil. I was like, just another mini vacation. It's only when I found myself in India, like a few months later, where I was like, this is a vacation that is not going to stop. Let me rent out the apartment and just do this properly. <laughs> love it. Love it. Oh, my God. What a journey. What an exciting journey. And my attention got peaked when you said something. And it might be a great segue to the topic of this episode. You were talking about how you got into debt and then how you went back to South Africa, got out of Mm. debt. And it's one of your things, right? You really help people with the money, especially those who are in debt to embrace money. So we're going to talk about that. But I'm curious about, first of all, what you were talking about, you got into debt because you were living out of credit cards to sustain your travels Mm. and all of that. But then you went to South Africa and bought a property. So let me... Like, can you just explain this whole thing, like going from debt to actually buying a property? Can you, like, it seems like there's a shortcut here. (laughs) Like, how do you go from actually being in debt to buying a property? Oh my gosh. So can I also just say how I got out of debt was the opposite of how most of us as nomads live and think. My debt was denominated in US dollars and pounds because I got it when I was living in the UK and when I was living in the US. And I just, decided to get out of debt by going back to South Africa and earning South African rands to pay off pounds. In That's US even crazier. <laughs> right. And here's the reason. So here's the shortcut and how I did that. Cause I was $60,000 in debt and I paid off my debt from 2012. So I went back to South Africa in 2012 and it took me about 
three years. I had already started paying back the debt in 2011 when I was in the US, but it took me about three and a half years because by mid 2014, I was debt free by September 2014. And I had also saved up like $50,000 and I had $50,000 in my bank account. So how did this happen? There's actually, there is a sort of shortcut. I don't want to call it a shortcut. What I started to understand was that a lot of my debt was being driven by shame. And my shame was so overwhelming. It was, it literally was depression as well. Like it was causing a lot of depression. And also there was so much anxiety that I had about money. I used to have panic attacks for about two years of my life, between 2009 and 2010. I really, really struggled with panic attacks around money when I was in Boston and I couldn't handle money. I couldn't touch money. I couldn't pay for things without panicking. It was such a constant conscious effort for me. So that kind of helped me realize that there was more going on with me than just debt. Mm -hmm. And I always say to people like having that violent response that I had to money, as opposed to just having a few anxiety attacks once in a while. I always joke that everything with me is often just super like jarring, you know, (laughs) and it just then catches my undivided attention. So then I had to start working on those panic attacks. And during that time came the understanding of shame around debt and other emotions. There was guilt around making money, just so much. I just had a myriad of emotions, which is how I came to write my book, Heart, Mind and Money. I started researching emotions around money. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I started doing was working with my emotions around money. And I started sitting with the shame around debt. One of the first things I then did was I created a debt repayment strategy. So I brought my coach, the one, the same one that I went and rehired when I was not feeling okay and couldn't understand what was happening. It was the first ever life coach I'd ever worked with. I don't think I even knew what the heck the life coach was. <laughs> but one of my friends who's a therapist was like, I think this is what you need. Talk to her. And she's American. And she's like, well, you're, this woman is South African. I think that she may be great for you. So then she helped me understand about what was going on with me in terms of emotions. Then I took it a step further. I started looking into emotions and the body. And I started to understand that whenever we handle money, something is triggered within us at a very subconscious level. Memories that we have around money, the meanings that we've tied to money, all sorts of things, the traumas, some of our deepest traumas are sometimes triggered really, really subtly, and we don't even understand it. And whenever I have an emotion around money, all these triggers, then it impacts my behavior with money and how I behave with money. And for me in particular, it was impacting me to get rid of money because money didn't feel safe. I associated money with family violence. Whenever people in my family had money, especially on my maternal side, there was a lot of envy and sometimes physical and verbal violence. I realized that, oh, I thought that I'd grown up ancestrally that, oh my gosh, we struggled with money. We never had money. But what I realized was that in my mom's side of the family, everyone, almost everyone has a university degree, some kind of master's or PhD or something. So it was really, really crazy. And I just realized that, wow, I grew up around people who are professionals and making money. 
The problem was never the making of the money, just like people being educated. It was keeping it. It was keeping it. And it was also just allowing yourself to thrive because there was so much violence. You know, I mean, when I say violence, it was really crazy. So as a child, I would freak out and get triggered. So what did I do? The same pattern. I got an MBA when I was in the US. I graduated with my MBA at the end of 2008. And as soon as I started making money, I couldn't hold on to it. And when I tried to force myself to hold on to it because of all that fancy education, I was freaking out and getting rid of money to keep myself safe. So the first thing I did was to work on regulating my nervous system so that I could feel safe enough, not just making money, but holding money and safe it so that my nervous system could also be regulated enough that When I felt safe enough to make money, I could give myself that time. I wasn't being overwhelmed and freaking out and getting rid of money as soon as I made it. I would actually have the time to pause, to think, to go back to the debt repayment plan and stick to it and say, I'm going to pay off my smallest debts and just pay those off first. And then as I started to feel more regulated, I then, when I was in South Africa, I got a part-time job and then I started a business. I'd always believed that I shut down my other business, two businesses, in fact, more like three businesses. So I went through a series of businesses in all in one year. In 2010, in particular, I shut down three businesses. So the one business that was left operating, I also shut it down and I gave myself permission to start something brand new. And I told myself, it's okay. This is not about failure. So I got rid of the notion of what failure looked like. And I got real with myself and I gave myself permission to start a brand new business, to go get a part-time job so I didn't have to stress. And I said to myself, well, the part-time job is so that you can live off of it. And then the the business income is going to be used to pay off debt. And I honestly didn't expect my business to turn into what it is now, but that was just the idea. So I just published my book, Heart, Mind and Money, because I'd already paid off like at least 50% of my debt by then. This was so miraculous to me. I started teaching people what I was doing. And literally within three and a half years, I was debt-free. I had paid off $60,000 in debt using South African rands. Amazing. What a story. I'm so fascinated. (laughs) And I knew when I read your bio and everything that it was going to be really juicy, but this is so good. And I loved how you told your story while still giving some great nuggets here that I really want to highlight. It's this whole thing when we talked about relationship with money, we talk a lot about money mindset in our field of you know, business. And mm-hmm. we talk a lot about money, maybe relationship, but there's one thing that you talk about is money trauma and your mm-hmm. trauma. You shared it with us for other people. It might be something else, but I feel like just watching our history and figuring out what are the patterns that we've been taught around money mm-hmm. is actually influencing our relationship with money today, be it about making yeah. money or how we spend it. We're one or the other. Both are important to run a successful business, right? So um, this yes. is really interesting. So I'm, I'm curious to know how, if you have any tips about maybe how to identify, like, first of all, what kind of relationship mm-hmm. with money do we have? And then what to do from it? Yes, that's such a beautiful question. So the first thing I say to people is without judgment, try to look at your bank account every day. Mm-hmm. 
So if you're struggling, I'll talk about two things, spending money and making money. When it comes to spending money, spend five minutes a day looking at your bank account and then just close your eyes and just observe your breathing for another five minutes and observe what's going on in your body. So when you're doing this, you're literally just retraining your amygdala to realize that there is no danger because even though we have evolved, the amygdala, the reptilian part of the brain has not evolved in the same way that we have evolved in 2000 years. This is why as humans, we're still operating with the same base instincts. You know, you're like, how is it that we have like built all this and we're still doing the same things to each other that like we did 2000 years ago? Well, because research shows that the amygdala is the same. It hasn't evolved. So now you're retraining the amygdala to think differently. But not only that, as you're feeling the sensations in your body and not reacting, you're retraining your nervous system not to freak out and go into hypervigilance, freeze mode, et cetera, where money's concerned. Super, super important because those nervous system reactions are going to impact how you behave with money. So after a few weeks of doing this, I would say maybe take about two to three weeks of doing this daily. It's not meant to be a major task, right? So do this for 10 minutes a day. By the way, I'm going to cut you just sorry, because you're saying it's not a big task. I think it's a huge task because I've been working with some clients about that. And because there's shame around money, and they don't yes. like to see those numbers. They don't look at the numbers. And sometimes I just like would just like close their eyes and avoid to look yeah. at what hurts. And ultimately that that doesn't help. Right. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. True. Yeah. So I was just saying, I don't want it to be a big task. Ex- for it's not so a time consuming. Saying. Right. But it's a huge. Yeah. I think it's, it's a huge, huge. It's huge. If we do it, it's huge impact. Yeah. I ran a course on this, actually. Yeah. So it is quite huge. Yeah. Like it's something that people have to work through. There's a lot of emotions exactly. that come up. That's I why I say to people just 10 minutes and then just observe what's coming up in your body. And that's why I'm always without judgment whatever is coming up is okay there is no right or wrong emotion there is no positive or negative emotion there is just what is because that's your truth in that moment Mm -hmm. you know and i'm huge on not forcing people to feel gratitude not getting people to forgive not getting people to get themselves to a positive mindset it's so so important Mm -hmm. so love it once you do that then come back after like two or three weeks. So as you're doing this exercise, you're going to keep doing the 10 minute exercise. Now I want you to add an extra five minutes and start seeing how you spend money. Where are you spending money on? What are you spending money on? Where are you spending your money? So then start that. And I always say to people, numbers don't lie. So what your bank account is telling you is going to tell you your spending habits. Again, this is not like a moment to judge. It's just to become interested and be your own investigator to see, oh, wow, I'm swiping at fast food joints like four or five times a week. And then start asking yourself, what were habits that I saw growing up? So after you've seen this, try to reflect when your mother got paid, when your father got paid, when your grandmother, great-grandmother got paid, what were their habits with money? Mm -hmm. Try to reflect what you guys spent money on most in the household. What did you, how did you see them behave with money? And then contrast that with your own actions. What are you seeing with yourself when it comes to money? 
How are you mirroring their behaviors? How are you rebelling from their behaviors? Are you freaking out? Like what's going on there? Super, super important. So become like an investigator. Pretend that someone is investigating your life and start to see that. That's going to be super, super powerful. And then try to reflect when you think about that, where as a child, when you saw this, what were you sensing mostly? Because maybe you did see your mother budget, but you're not realizing that at a nervous system level, when you think of that memory and what you were experiencing was a lot to do. There was a lot going on in your body and in your nervous system. So I do a lot of work with people where we meditate and we go back into these memories and we're starting to just feel into the body. So not just go and be in the memory, but really work with the nervous system and feel what we were co-regulating, how our nervous systems were co-regulating to our caregivers. Because maybe you saw your mom budget and you saw her be very, very frugal with money and you saw her do all the right things. But as she was doing that, there was so much anxiety, frustration, anger, etc. And you as a child co-regulated to that on a nervous system level. And suddenly you don't understand whenever you handle money, why your nervous system feels that way, why you just anxious, even if you have a good paycheck, even when everything's going well, why is it that you just feel this anxiety and it just never feels like you can make money add up. So we need to go back to helping that child regulate their nervous system so that they can stop informing the adult you. When it comes to making money, Also, I do have a free seven-day training, so I will talk about that later. But it's this whole thing where I teach people, how do you go back to see the ancestral pattern of how your people made money? You know, what were their strengths? What what are their weaknesses? Take away all the business school stuff, everything that people are telling you. Because if you can work with your ancestral strengths and understand your ancestral weaknesses around money, I promise you how you make money will start to shift. And it's not exactly, for some people, the strength is in the industry, maybe the talents that you had um, as a bloodline. For some people, it's about a particular skill. You know, what is your core skill? Like I tell people that on my father's side, I know that they were always the advisors to royalty. They were the strategists to royal to the royal family of Bupedi, you know, and they were also the healers. So actually one of my key strengths, even as a coach, I do a lot of work around healing money trauma, right? But a lot of work that I realized that I'm really good at and people would tell me even in business school is strategy and operations. And I was like, of course. So understanding those key skills and then mm-hmm. doing what I guess Gay Hendricks talks about in The Big Leap. Oh yeah, I love that book. I love it too, right? Like I keep uh, The Big Leap. I keep telling everyone about that book. It is incredible. So just then moving yeah. into that zone of excellence or zone of genius and then mm-hmm. utilizing that key strength to then build your business, everything that you need to do, right? Because, okay, so the other thing that I want to say is there's also the thing of you as a person. So yes, the people in my bloodline are great at strategy and operations, 
But I also realized that my key strength where I really shine is communicating. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm able to really communicate things. So how do I then merge those two things, you know, which, and ironically, I've always believed I really am terrible at marketing. So I just realized that actually the way I communicate and the way that I'm thinking and the things that I see can actually make for their own unique way of marketing, selling and positioning my business. So that's literally what I started to utilize. So really, really understanding that. And then you can then from there in terms of making money and building a business, once you understand what you're great at, in many ways, it also helps you clarify on what you you suck at or what you shouldn't be focusing your attention on, who you should hire and how, if you focused on this one thing that you're really good at, it could start to change the game for you and jumpstart everything, right? So really, really powerful to understand where you come from and how that is impacting you. And also not only how it holds you back, but the wisdom of that. Because I always say to people, it's not just ancestral trauma, there's ancestral wisdom. And when it comes to making money, being able to see the wisdom is going to be incredibly beneficial for you. Going to find the strengths and coming back to utilize them is going to be a game changer. I love it. Wow. What a process. And I love everything you've been sharing here. And there's a couple of things that I want to discuss here. The one thing we briefly talked about it, this the big leap. And one of the things that's underlining in what you're saying is sometimes how our relationship to money is actually sabotaging our potential of making money and also keeping the mm. money and flo- and building wealth because that's also another thing that we have in yeah. common so like how to build that wealth and um mm. one of the things that i experienced and i want to highlight that to those who are listening to watch your journey with money are you sabotaging yourself and i remember that mm-hmm. when i was starting at, at some point when my business was picking up i remember that i couldn't even be happy and i couldn't understand why mm. and that's where the big leap was very helpful and that mm. led, led to an, a huge journey for me it's like why am i feeling this huge like negative sensation when I'm making money. And I realized I did have money trauma. Like I had some beliefs around money that I did not even know. And this is why I'm really happy that you're here to talk about that because these are not things that we usually hear about. Mm -hmm. So my call to the people who are listening is that watch your relationship to money and follow this process that Vanilis has been sharing here. Yeah. The other thing I think I wonder if you have anything to share about, you've talked a lot about our relationship with money, how to perceive money, how to spend it, how we buy things. How about how we sell? Ooh, wow. (laughs) So this is a topic I am becoming more and more deeply passionate about. Um, And here's why. I think when I started as a coach, and I don't know if you've heard this as well, and now I would be told, I never ever leave a discovery call without taking someone's credit card details. You know, like... What? Yeah, that's what (laughs) I'm saying. Really? Okay. It was so crazy. Like if someone says, if someone is at a yes, then make sure that like you don't hop off without getting them to sign and to get their details and everything. And it feels heavy to me. (laughs) It does, right? And I couldn't understand why I couldn't sell. Like literally, obviously. Mm. And it felt heavy. And then I also thought I was terrible at selling, like I said, right? Like at marketing. And I realized that that's because I thought of marketing as persuasion. 
that when I was mm-hmm. selling what I was, whatever I was selling, it I believe that it meant that I had to persuade people. I had even the terms that I used in the marketing space overcome people's objections, you know. And mm-hmm. I was like, what? And I thought that's what I had to do. I needed to be ready. But then I realized that even before, if I was writing a post to sell something, I was doing a video or a podcast, I was more concerned with overcoming objections. So I was already tailoring what I was saying to overcome people's objections, as opposed to what I do now, which is I just want to connect. And I have to trust, like, I truly believe that the truth has a particular vibration to it. When it lands and it lands for the people that it's meant for, they will sense it, that my job is just to truly do my work, you know, and just do my work within integrity. And then people will sense that, right? And then mm-hmm. I don't have to push. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to get people's credit card details. So my idea of selling and marketing has changed to one of how do I create a safe space for people to make a decision that is in alignment with what their spirit and soul wants. That's completely different from how do I overcome objectives? How do I push and sell? And, you know, it's not about that. Because I was like, how do I stay with the work that I do at all times? And it's about creating a safe space. So I even, so when I sell now, I even, we even ask people, there's a two-step process. First, they have a discovery call with my client onboarding specialist, and they are able to WhatsApp her and keep in touch with her and then have a call with me later. Because I realize that sometimes when people have a call with me, they feel like they need to go straight to being like, yes, having their, everything in order. And they have that pressure that they feel. You know, so I was like, no more of that. Let them have a call with my client onboarding specialist. And then they get to ask all the questions. And also because me, I would get upset and annoyed and be like, why are you on this call if you have these questions, you know, in my head? So I was like, energetically, people are probably sensing that. So how do I create a safe space where they feel safe enough to ask all those questions? And then when they're ready, they come back to my client onboarding specialist. um, And then she books a call with me. By the time they come to me, they feel super ready And they've also had time to really reflect if this is the decision for them. So by the time they make this decision, they also feel really good within their nervous systems. And with my client onboarding specialist, she then gives them ideas. They can come ask, say things like, I'm ready for this course. I'm ready for this program, whatever Vanilla is offering. But what I really, really, I'm not sure how to make it happen. And she will actually sit with them and work with them and say, These ideas that I think that you need to do, go see, go look at your bank account when you look at it, look at this, 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 and see how you can make this happen so that you do this from a space that is not putting you into more credit card debt or jeopardy. So it's really, really awesome. It's a whole different way that I've changed how to market to the point where me and my client onboarding specialist will meet and say, okay, she says she's got X amount. If she does this, this is how much it will put her in debt. Then I'll say, tell her to wait three months and then she can come back or he or she can come back and work with you, keep in touch with them and 
see how even before they make that decision, we can get them to a place where this the decision to be in my programs or work with me is not dysregulating the nervous system even more because it's not mm-hmm. it's not causing tension, you know? And mm-hmm. what I've seen when I've done that has been incredible. I mean, on my podcast, the Money Magic Podcast, I literally interview my own clients for their breakthroughs and their aha moments around trauma because I'm like, it's so amazing because then people are shifting so radically in that regard, right? It's just, I've changed to just thinking of it as how do I create a safe space for people to make decisions? That's how I, a decision that is more in alignment with them. That's how I'm seeing the selling and marketing process. So you seem to have had a lot of experience in that, right? And I love what the creating the safe space is just yeah. an amazing way to reframe the selling process, right? Yeah. I consider for me, marketing and selling, it's about helping. Yes. I, when I sell, I don't, actually don't never say I'm selling, I'm coaching the sale. I'm uh, coaching the buy. I'm, yeah. hel- I'm coaching people through the decision-making process to make mm-hmm. sure that's the right decision for them. Yes. And I think that's really important to, to yes. and that energy is all different. I'm here to help you make the right decision for yeah. you. Uh, I'm not yeah. attached to the results. Oh, I love that so, so much. Yeah. I love so that. I think that's, that's very aligned to what you were saying, but here's the thing that I wonder what you would say, because I know working with some clients that just the effort of reaching out to people and making an offer is already that first barrier, right? Like, on the, or for example, putting out an email and making an offer, but then not even daring to follow up because we don't want to bother mm. people and because we feel like we're putting pressure on them. Any insights on that that you want to share? Like how to actually, on top of being on the call and creating the safe space and having that mindset shift, what is the other shift that we can have to actually feel that it's okay to reach out to people to make an offer? Mm, Yeah, I think the shift that you can work with with that is, I think for most of us, it's the fear of rejection, right? Mm -hmm. It's two things. It's two-sided. It's the fear of rejection and the fear of bothering people. Exactly. Right. So just like working with that and sitting with that and then just asking yourself, like I love to ask myself, if I wasn't struggling with the fear of bothering people, I wasn't scared of the of being rejected, how would I then approach this person? And what would feel good in terms of following up with them? Mm-hmm. And I think also the other thing is when I follow up, the issue is that you feel like you're going to be bothering people. What we love to do is to ask for permission from people to say, okay, so we've just had this conversation would you be okay with uh, with me following up with you again? So I'm assuming that if someone is on my mailing list, they want to, and they've signed up for a free program and they know at the end of the program that they're going to be pitched to and they still sign up, you've given me permission to keep emailing you and reminding you about the office. So that's an easy one. But what happens if you're on the phone with a person and then you keep following up several, several times? So you can ask mm-hmm. permission from a person the first time you're on a call with them or when you're mm-hmm. on the email with this. them, all that, and say, can I follow up with you? And then they can say yes or no, right? So then already it doesn't feel awkward. That conversation is already has already mm. opened up something. And then you can get really specific. I'm big on getting specific with agreements. I believe that a lot of 
fights and disagreements happen because we are not, we're very vague as humans, right? As soon as someone says, yes, you can follow up with me. You're like, oh, that's awesome. I'll follow up with you. But you don't tell them when. So they don't also expect when to hear from you. So it's just open-ended. They don't get time to think about it. So I always say, get clear on the time, the date, the medium of follow-up. Mm. Right. So mm. are we following up tomorrow at 12 p.m.? Are we doing Zoom? Are we doing WhatsApp? Are we doing a DM? And then having that conversation again. And then the next time if they're still thinking about it, is it okay? I see that you're not yet ready to make a decision. Is it okay if I follow up with you? And if someone says, I may be ready in three months, then literally ask them again, can I follow up with you in three months? And can we set a date and time in your calendar? What would feel good to you? What kind of medium? How are we doing this? So that way a person is expecting it. It's not a bother. It's There's no rejection tied to it. They've accepted it. And already you can, when you grant permission and when you've been given permission, there's such an energy opening, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just this, it's no longer awkward. I think that things become awkward because we haven't, gotten the permission and it feels like a bother because there's no being there's no real yes or no so if there is a yes like do you want me to follow up by email would that be a good thing for you then you follow up by email and then even if you follow up three or four times if you haven't heard even if you haven't had a response you've been given permission to follow up love this tip so much like (laughs) expectations is everything right setting up the the expectations for the type of relationship we want to have and that's part of that relationship is so key and this is so so good I love it thank you so much for sharing that and I hope those of you listening are just getting as excited as I am right now because I think they're simple things you can do to, I think to also keep ourselves accountable, right? Mm, yes. To keep ourselves accountable. I'm going to yeah. follow up and how can I do it in a way that works for you? And then we yeah. feel better about it. So I love that. Uh, we could go on and on on this conversation and I'm having so much fun chatting with you and maybe we'll have another one in the future. Who knows? One thing I want to touch upon a little bit without going too much deeper into details, talking about money. For me, one of the things uh, for the listeners, if you notice and you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, I'm all about creating a business that allows you to live the lifestyle you want, right? To build a revenue that allows you to live fully to your full potential, making an impact, but not breaking yourself. That's important to me. Building that business is important, but as I grow with in my business and in my own personal journey, I'm realizing that on top of creating a successful business, there are other ways also to make your money work for you Mm. instead of you working for your money. So that's kind of become my new motto right now. And I'm trying to share more inspiration on that. And I realized that you're actually also doing that. You're helping people invest. So any tips about that? Like I see a lot of people who are afraid to invest. I know that for me, I don't know why, actually, very early on in my journey, I've been thinking of investing. And I remember when I met my husband, I'm like, what? You've been in your career for so long. You did not buy nothing. It's like, how could how could that even happen? Right. So I was wondering if you have any tips, any mistakes you see people making around that or any limiting beliefs you, ha- you see people having around investing that money so that they can put their money to work when they make that money. Mm, that's such a good question. At the beginning of 2022, I was invited to a class and teaching 
with one of the wealthiest women in South Africa, one of the wealthiest black women in South Africa, and she got wealthy through investing. And she started this company for black women, teaching them how to invest. One of the things that she said was one of the biggest things that holds people back is the fear of losing money. Mm. So just accept that you're on this journey, you're going to lose a lot more money. She was like, Van, I just want you to just imagine that this is just the start. You're going to lose 10 times, 20 times, 30 times that much money on this journey and just take it as part of the journey. This is stuff that you will learn. Now you've learned very, very valuable lessons about how you want to build your business, how you want to scale, how you want to market, which is where the idea of creating a safe space for marketing came from and doing things so differently. And she was like, now you're doing things completely differently in your business. That was a valuable thing. So mm-hmm. it's the same with investing is that most people hold back because what if I make a terrible decision? What if it's not the right thing? You will get better as an investor. You know, so I run a property podcast and my business partner in the podcast, she and I then launched a property investment fund. So we've invested in six deals. We raised over $300,000 in the last uh, 12 months. It's not even been a full 12 months yet. And we've invested in six different uh, real estate deals. And the understanding that you are on a learning curve. We're learning which investors are great to invest with. They look good on paper. They are great to invest with. They pay on time, which look good on paper. But we now have to rethink investing with them, working with them. Things are just different. They're not exactly what we had anticipated. So all that comes into play. Give yourself grace and understand that you will lose money along the way, but you can't collect awards without jumping into the arena. You need to be playing in it for you to be able to be collecting the awards and growing and getting better. So you have to get in and get started. Of course, there are ways to minimize losing money. Of course, get mentors, sign up for courses, understand the industries that you're investing in, understand the companies do due diligence, research, but start to make peace with the fact that not every investment is going to be great. Also, just understanding that it's a journey. You're going to constantly be pivoting. And that's the important thing. I started to understand more deeply over time that it's not about the mistakes that I made, but how fast I can pivot from those mistakes. You know, Mm. as soon as I see a mistake, what I wanted to do before was to not admit that it was a mistake. So I keep making the mistake because I've invested so much time and money into this mistake. I'm going to try to make it right. I'm going to stay with it. All that. I started to realize that I get to pivot from a mistake and to just say, this is not working and to just let it go. And that saves you even more time and money in the future. So much good stuff here. So much good. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your great insights around money. I think there's so much work to do to debunk. And you know, when you talk about ancestor trauma, I think as women and the whole society, be it throughout cultures, women have, I think, a lot of money trauma to deal with from centuries. And I think um, I love that you use this term to understand that we can actually also free ourselves from the moment that we see that there's a trauma. It can also be repaired 
some of the mistake that I see people around the vocabulary of trauma, it feels like something that you're stuck with. Yeah. Actually, it's not true. We're not, we don't have to be stuck with trauma. No. We can release ourselves from trauma yeah. when we know where it comes from. Yeah. And also there's so much wisdom in our past. I love that, by the way, that shift. I used to think that my childhood was just ladled with trauma. Yeah, let's look at the wisdom yeah, as well. Yeah, no, I used to feel that. It was just one big trauma fest, you know, because some of the things were so jarring, so overwhelming uh, to really process and integrate. But as I started to integrate them, I also realized that not everything was terrible. And there was also so much wisdom and lessons that mm. I was given about Amen. life, living, mm. relationshiping, and even making money. You know, it's just, I was like, wow, who knew? But I think that when we are stuck in the trauma and when the trauma is so overwhelming and we haven't started to process it, it's hard to see the wisdom and to glimpse it. I honestly never ever mm -hmm. thought that I would look back at my childhood and my teens and be like, crap, there was some good stuff there. There's some real gold and things that I've learned there, you know. But mm. it's just as we start to work through the trauma and processes, we realize that there's so much wisdom and there's so many gifts. And there must have been. I mean, our ancestors must have done something right because we're still here. Had they not done anything, right. we wouldn't be alive. We wouldn't be existing. So mm. clearly the stuff, some things worked and we are still here. Right. This is why we're still existing right. and alive. I love it. Such a great message to share for the end of this episode. Before we say goodbye, uh, can you tell us where we can find you and, um, and you know, anything that's happening that you want to share with us? Yes, definitely. Find me on Wealthy Money at wealthy-money.com. Again, wealthy-money.com. When you get on the landing page, just read through that. You'll get access to, uh, it shares all the different programs that I have going on, definitely check out the free blog and the podcast, right? Because um, the blog articles, I've got over 300 blog articles on just money, trauma and investing. So quite a lot of incredible nice. information on there. Lots of stuff around real estate investing as well. And also, if you want to check out my free seven-day Tapping into Ancestral Money Wisdom program, where a lot of it is really about how do you make money using your ancestral gifts. And at the end of that, I will also tell you about my programs on day seven of the training. So definitely check it out at wealthy-money.com forward slash training. Fabulous. Thank you so much. And Nomad Nation, if you want to find all the information that she shared, I will also share everything about Vanille in the show notes of this episode on tandemnomads.com slash 284. Thank you again. It's been amazing to be able to chat with you. It's been really a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much, Mal. This has been amazing. Thank you to all the listeners. My pleasure. So Nomad Nation, stay tuned. We can't wait to hear from you if you have any feedback about this episode. And uh, as usual, make sure to turn all your challenges into great opportunities.